Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it's been nine whole days since Reuben Foster's last arrest. What? We have a sign-up in the studio, like days since last accident, strictly <laughs> for Reuben Foster. We've got some new names to quickly cover in our free agency positional preview. And Mel Kuyper is basically your drunk uncle talking about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, because he basically tried to excuse away Josh Allen's accuracy and say, no, no, no. Stats are for losers, bro. The guy just wins. He's a winner. And then someone's like, Lamar Jackson, that guy wins. And he's like, no, he just had a lot of layups. Uh, and he should play wide receiver or something. Because that's accuracy is a problem because, you know, completion percentage that definitely isn't higher than Josh Allen's. <laughs> But first, let's get to a quick rundown for the stories that happened this week in Ninerland. Vontae Davis, we have a cornerback visit. He has a couple of other visits lined up, but he visited the 49ers. He, of course, is a free agent corner, formerly of the Indianapolis Colts. He is the he's the younger brother of Vernon Davis, right? We're just trying to collect all of the Davises. Correct. And he visited with the Niners. He's now visiting the Raiders. He's visited some other teams. But David, is this a guy that we really want or is this a guy worth signing? I think it depends, you know, like so many things that we talk about during free agency, right? It's always like, well, how much is he going to cost? Um, I think if he's somebody, because again, he's coming off injury. He was released at the end of last year after, uh, what was it? It was, he wasn't an Achilles. I, f- I forget his injury off the top of my head. Um, but sustained some sort of injury late in the season, was released. Um, he opted He opted for groin surgery, I think is what it was. was, that what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Some, so he had a lingering injury and it was one of those things where I think he could try to play through or he could have season ending surgery after like five games. And he was like, I'll take the surgery, bro. And the Colts were like, later, bro. So I think everything there from, you know, the coming off the injury to uh, this is a guy that has kind of dealt with injuries um, throughout much of the last couple seasons and so hasn't performed well. Um, I mean, we're really basically three years removed from the last time that Vontae Davis was playing good football. Um, so those factors seem to indicate that he's a guy that should be looking for some sort of prove it deal, right? He wants to land, sign me a one-year contract. If he still, you know, believes in his ability, give me a one-year deal. Let me prove that I can still play. And and then I'll go and try to cash in next off season. I think if that's the situation, he's definitely somebody worth considering. If he's somebody that, thinks he still wants to cash in right now based on what he was doing three years ago, then no, we can go ahead and move on to someone else. And the fact is, he's probably not getting a blow your socks off offer because he keeps going from team to team. So chances are the response he's getting from teams is, yeah, we'll probably give you a a one-year deal with maybe some base guarantees, but a lot of roster bonuses and maybe a second year to kind of offset any guaranteed items over, you know, kind of amortize that over two years. But that that's those are the probably the deals that he's looking at and he's going from team to team thinking he's going to be able to create some competition for his services and he's probably going to end up signing a one or two year deal and the Niners need bodies to the corner position right now it is uh, Akella Witherspoon and not much else uh, like Asa Jackson and that's it yeah especially I mean outside right you got Quan Williams inside but I mean again nobody beyond those two players right now on the roster is someone that you're feeling super comfortable about getting playing time come next season yeah so i think it'd be it'd be a fine addition a good veteran presence uh, and and that's about it and that's what you want to pay for and that's what the contract should should reflect if it reflects anything more all of a sudden you get into just bad decision making and, and a little bit of scrambling but the next person that has been recently released is going to be muscle hamster himself and i know he hates that nickname but it's such Which a good nickname. Which makes it even better, It's actually. such a good nickname. I mean, Muscle Hamster. He looks like a muscle hamster. It fits. It totally fits. But Doug Martin was released. And he'd be a great addition, right? He solves all of our running back woes. 
2.9 yards per carry. That sounds nope. like that sounds good. Nope. nope. I mean, there, there's just I, yeah, I don't know that there's a whole lot else to say. Dude's just like uh, he's living off. He's had what like maybe a season and a half, I think, worth of good play and, had and one breakout year, I think, in 2014, and then he had uh, over tw- over a thousand yards in 2015, and since then he either hasn't completed a year. Or has averaged, uh, actually, the, the two years since then, he hasn't completed the year in terms of games played, and he's averaged less than three yards a carry. You can find literally anyone to go average 2.9 yards per carry. <laughs> um, I will go out there and get you damn near 2.9 yards a carry just diving beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, like, it's it's <laughs> not hard. It's actually super impressive in a terrible way that he managed to average under 3.0 yards per carry uh for two different seasons in his career um yeah i mean he's it's just not worth it he's not uh there's no value to be added in the passing game there um there's zero reason to be interested in signing doug martin i'm really happy that i'm over here almost dying and you're just continuing with the yeah, podcast I mean, I was like that kinda, was that know, was good you almost I was stopped starting to get a little worried but you almost yeah. stopped to check whether or not i was going to die we're here I, for the hashtag content okay? that's right <laughs> that's right not not we don't care about lives we just no no not at all that's really going to be the end of the the rundown two players that you know kind of maybe generated some buzz one because they actually had a visit the other because everyone's like ah it's a name we know so let's jump all over it also i hate boise state i'm gonna throw that out there um you don't like the blue field? so so yeah i just don't want to like ever be in a situation where i'm forced to root for him um yeah that, which know, like thankfully there's you know there's there's zero reason to expect the 49ers to sign him and and that's gonna yeah. be uh, a thing that we even worry about, but yeah, like fuck boys. I, I don't mind it too much. I mean, they beat Oklahoma in the Statue of Liberty game, so they'll always have a special place in my heart. I like that. Uh, so let's get to our free agent positional preview because this week we are going to cover the edge position. So what's the profile of player that we're looking for for an edge addition to the 49ers roster? Well, if you've been listening to us thus far, you know that we're looking for tier two players or tier three players. Those are going to be foundational players that you can build a roster around. Or transitional players that are going to come in, play well, fill a role, but you don't expect them to do much on your roster after two or maybe three years. We're really focusing on players with the ability to come in and play significant snaps and have an immediate impact. And of course, cost matters. So we've separated players into three cost buckets. You've got your top dollar players. These players are going to be among the highest paid at their position. You've got your mid-level guys. These are generally veteran players without elite talent. They can be had for less and often are viewed as short-term options. These are going to be your Tier 3 players. And then you've got your bargain bin, your buy-low candidates. These are low-risk players because they can be had for super cheap, and they are super cheap because of injuries or because of poor performance or for some reason or another are at the low point in their value, but they offer upside if things break the right way for them. If we were to have put Vontae Davis into a bucket, he'd probably be in the bargain bucket. And the other thing to note about the the cost mattering is that at least for for the buckets that we're placing them in, you know, over the course of these previews is these are obviously guesses. You know, they're they're unexpected things that happen all the time in free agency. Um, you know, Alshon Jeffrey was a guy that I think most people going into free agency would have expected him to get a top dollar contract, ended up getting more of kind of a one year prove it deal and and wanted to see if he could up that figure in the following offseason. So you're going to have things like that that are maybe a little bit unexpected. Um we're, we're throwing him where we can kind of best predict. You know, obviously, if the, the cost of a player changes, the conversation around that player changes because the two things that you're really trying to keep in mind 
with offseason conversation in general is the evaluation, right? How good is this player? But more importantly, a lot of times is the valuation. You know, what is based on how good that player is? What is he worth? How much should we be paying him? Where should we be taking him in the draft? And so these are all things that we want to consider when evaluating these prospects. And of course, David mentioned it. He said the evaluation, the fit matters. Does the player bring something to the table that is currently absent on the roster? Do they improve on a player or role already on the roster? And if so, is that upgrade worth the difference in cost? When we're specifically looking at edge players, I mean, the Niners need pass rushers, flat out. And we care much more about how they fit in nickel than we do in base. Because nickel is really where you get after the passer. And frankly, nickel is really the new base. That's where the Niners are spending the majority of their snaps on defense. So we're not going to spend too much time caring about whether or not this, can, this player can be an every down player or whether or not they're great up against the run. We've got enough defensive tackles that perform decently against the run. We need players that are going to be able to get after the quarterback. Yeah, the, the whole Leo thing got kind of blown out of proportion. It's like, oh, it's got a cool name. And, and we were guilty of it, um, too. Yeah, I th- well, I think... Um, Less so, perhaps, than others. But still, yeah. we, I mean, we had a sure. whole episode of the Leo position, and we talked about what the fits would be, and we sure, still sure. had caveats. But, you know, we, we, were, we were equally guilty of that. Absolutely. And I think, ultimately, when it comes down to it, it doesn't really matter a whole lot. If you've got, you know, with even the bigger players, the bigger type of ends that they have right now in Armstead and Solomon Thomas, based on how things went last year, um, it's, it's fine. It, like, it really doesn't matter. You're not spending a lot of time there. It's not the end of the world because usually if you're in base, you're a little bit more worried about the run anyway. And so it helps to have a stronger run presence there. But what, we, what we're focusing on, what the 49ers, we, we hope, are focusing on this offseason is pass rushers. They need guys they can get after the quarterback. Uh, and, and so we're going to be looking at how they fit with the current set of defensive linemen when they're in those sub packages, when they're looking to be getting after the passer. A couple of names we won't be talking about in this episode. One, we luckily made a decision to put the edge episode a little bit closer to when that franchise tag deadline was going to be because Demarcus Lawrence, which was going to be the prize of this free agent class, franchise tagged. Don't have to worry about him. And Brian Cushing, he is an off-ball linebacker, not really fit the edge. He doesn't fit the edge discussion either way, but he's a notable name that was recently released, and he is recently also retired. So don't need to worry about him either way. So let's get to the edge uh, players that we have left, because there's not very many left. I mean, the the edge cupboard is pretty bare. It's not it's not well stocked. There's not a lot well, of you, you got I wish sandwiches basically, and you open up that cupboard, and there's not much there. It's like the apocalypse happened and you're like late to the store. You didn't stock up before the zombie apocalypse happened. And so now you're going to the stores and all, all the shelves are ransacked, right? There's nothing left. Um, it's, it's ugly. Um, so I think the only top dollar guy that we have right now, and, and there's even a chance that he's not going to become available is Zeke Alonso. Um, he's the one guy right now within this edge class that's likely to go out and command a top contract and is going to get paid, um, like one of the, the the better players at his position, um, whether he is worth that, that's kind of another conversation. But I think where you start with him, right, so we want to make a case for and against why the 49ers should be considering these players. I think the case for with him starts with the fact that dude is just kind of a freak athlete. Um, he's He's got a, a huge frame. He's kind of Alden-esque in his frame, 6'5", 270, um, has those really long arms, and he has really good, I think he's probably even a better athlete than Alden was at that size. So the athleticism is really there. 
Um, you see him kind of excel on stunts, which is something that I think a lot of times, you know, design is a, a big player there. But uh, when you have players that are kind of looping around on those stunts, athleticism is key because you're taking a longer path to the quarterback. It's, you know, theoretically taking you longer time to get there. So you need somebody with kind of the, the athleticism, the burst to be able to close once they get that opening and actually make a play on the quarterback. And he's he's kind of a true edge guy, which is, you know, again, the thing that the 49ers don't really have. They have guys like Solomon Thomas, who, you know, we thought could transition out there. That's a little up in the air right now. Armstead was kind of miscast out there. They have Doomerville as a part time guy, but they don't really have a, a guy that's really that true speed rusher that you're relying on down in and down out. And he would, uh, you know, potentially bring that to the table. Now, of course, he's also got double digit sack production and there's he had, what, 11 sacks last year. So yes. n- not only is he does he fit the profile of the edge guy, but he's big, he's an athlete, and he's produced double-digit sacks, not just last year, but I think he's got you know, multiple seasons with double-digit sacks. Yeah, he's got a few. Right? Yeah. So the case against Ezekiel Ansah is really kind of a, a dig deeper into what really makes him go. And, and Ezekiel Ansah is a player that has a high sack rate, but a pretty low pressure rate. So the ability to generate pressure is more consistent year to year than the ability to convert that pressure into sacks. We talked about that earlier this year during that whole kind of few weeks when we were saying that pressure affects games because you're going to get pressure more consistently than you are necessarily going to convert that into sacks. It could be everything from the quarterback you're facing. It's easier to sack an Eli Manning than it is to Russell Wilson. Um, and, And it's more easier to control that kind of initial pressure than it is your ability to bring a player down. So you want to ideally see high pressure rates and also high sack conversion rates. But Ansa's not really a guy that gets a lot of pressure. He converted 30% of his pressures into sacks, which is nearly double the league average for edge defenders. Clocks in at just shy of 16%. Only Julius Peppers had a higher sack conversion rate last year. Now, for his career, Ansa's at 19.1, which is still pretty high. Not as high as this one-year kind of aberration, but this is someone who didn't get a pressure on the quarterback often, but luckily when he did, he converted it into sacks. So overall, I would say that his sack number almost kind of inflates his ability as a pass rusher as opposed to him being able to say, oh, I'm a great pass rusher and I also get these sacks as well. Definitely. I mean, you see a lot of the top guys, right? So with Edge, it's you immediately jump to the Von Millers and the Cleo Max of the world. And these are guys that generate consistent pressure, right? It's not always sacks, but they are consistently bothering the quarterback. And that's where their value comes from because the sacks can kind of come and go. There's a lot of things uh, at play there. Like you meant, I mean, it can be, a lot of sacks come from just like cleanup sacks, right? Where it's and Ansa had a couple of those cleanup sacks because yeah. he had uh, what like nine of his eleven sacks came in three games, mm-hmm. and a couple of them were on Brent Hundley, where Brent Hundley is running around there like a chicken with his head cut off, and Ansa's just there. Yeah, and- he had one where he's uh, I, I don't that might have been the Packers game as well. Um, one where he's like you know chasing a guy in a scramble Toward and just the pushes line. him out of bounds, yeah. right? And it's like right there at the line of scrimmage because it's so a it's, minus one yard, yeah. it counts as a sack. So there's a lot of things like that um, that, that come into play there. Sometimes you you have you know some sacks are just like flat out unblocked and that's not a reflection of that player's ability um and, and so the that this shows up because sack numbers tend to be inconsistent from season to season you know all but maybe the very very top guys that can kind of get there and, and make sure that they're closing you know getting those double digit sack numbers pretty much every year well it's because i think they get enough pressures that they're they able to conver- opportunity yeah, yeah they get more opportunities because they are so good it's you, you know you give someone 100 pressures and they're going to get 20 sacks if their sack conversion rate is 20%. You give someone 15 pressures, 
and they could still have a 20% conversion rate and they're going to have like two sacks. I have no idea if those numbers make sense. <laughs> I was told the math would be involved. You know, we're not really a math-heavy podcast here. <laughs> we hate math. Um, but sacks basically, so I mean, bottom line with that, what does all that mean is is the sack numbers oversell his ability as a pass rusher. Um, he's not as good of a rusher as an 11-sack season would seem to indicate because he's not generating, he's not bothering the quarterback often enough. He only had 37 total pressures last year. Um, which was to give some context to like what the top guys typically get. Um, Von Miller had like 83 pressures this year. Um, Khalil Mack had 79 pressures. Aaron Donald, who's an interior guy, but just a freak of nature, uh, led all players. I think he came in at like 90 something. I forget exact where yeah, he was he in the 90s. Cause I remember thinking um, he almost matched his Jersey number in pressure. I think he got 91 because I was, uh, I, I remember thinking that if he would have played that final regular season game against the Niners, there was an outside chance that if he would have got nine pressures, he, he would have got a hundred, a hundred, which has only happened, um, like a handful of times since PFF's been charting this stuff. Um, so it, it was, I mean, that's kind of your high end marks, right? Usually the, the top guys are, or right around that like 80 pressure mark. So he's well in, uh, you know, under half of that total. And you're just not affecting. I mean, really, what you if you think about what you want from these pass rushers, right? You're looking about, I need, I need five plays from you a game. So that 80 number, you know, over 16 games works out to about five pressures a game. Um, that's what you're, you're, I need five snaps out of you where you can go and bother the quarterback. And if you're not doing that, if you're only giving me like two snaps, that's just not as valuable, right? I need guys that can come in in big moments and be able to get that pressure on the quarterback, even if you're not quite getting home. I need you to be able to make the th- those throws more difficult, um, and, and that's where you can really provide value for your defense, and he just hasn't been able to consistently do that over his career. I think the one contextual item that helps really put this in, in full view for me is that when we talk about his 37 pressures, Ezekiel Ansah's 37 pressures, I look to... Another player that was considered maybe an underperformer when it came to rushing the passer uh, this year, and he's a player that's on the 49ers currently, and that's Solomon Thomas. Solomon Thomas had 30 pressures this year, just seven fewer than Ezekiel Ansah, and Solomon Thomas missed games this year. Yeah. So if he, if he would have played I mean, a full... I think Ansah did too, but... Yeah, yeah. But, but at the end of the day, am I going to pay... If we're talking about pressure-affecting games and pressure giving you the opportunity to convert to sacks, if I already have a 30-pressure guy on the roster, why am I going to pay you know, another, what, $60, $70 million for another 37 pressures. It it just doesn't seem like a wise investment overall. Yeah, you want, again, with free agency, the the supposed benefit of free agency, right, over the draft is is you're dealing with more certainty in theory, right? This is why Bill Belichick wants to get the wide receivers for a second-round pick or whatever because, like, I know how to project you because I've seen you do it in the NFL. Yeah, I'm going to trade for Brandon Cooks because I I have a better idea of what you can do in my offense and what you can do at the NFL level than, you know, somebody uh, that I'm going to select with that selection in the draft. Um, However... You, in order to have that certain, you need things that you can rely on, right? That are going to be consistent, that that uh, are going to be sustainable from season to season. And again, that's where nobody's arguing that sacks aren't good, right? Again, we we kind of get into this before talking about pressure. Uh, it's not that we don't love sacks and that those aren't valuable and aren't big for your defense. It's it's that pressure is more consistent. Uh, pressure is a more reliable thing. If somebody's cons- is getting the, those high pressure numbers, I can feel better about him continuing to do that. Whereas if somebody's just getting 10 sacks and that they're not really generating a lot of pressure uh, otherwise, well, I don't feel good about those sacks continuing to be there for me in the future. So overall, I think if you haven't 
really caught on. We're not super high on the idea of the 49ers signing Ezekiel Ansa for a top dollar contract. And that's even if, if Ansa gets past this period and doesn't get franchised because it's, it's likely that he will get franchised. But even if he doesn't, I don't really want the Niners to go anywhere near that guy with a 10 foot pole. When, when I'm watching him on film, he's just, he's someone who's, who looks like a more athletic Armstead is just when I, when I see him on film, it's like, yeah, I've seen Eric Armstead do some of those things. Armstead can do that. Ansa's obviously a better athlete. It shows up on tape. But I don't know that what Ansa brings to the table is enough to justify the monster contract that he would receive if he reached free agency. Yeah, he's just he just doesn't bring it consistently enough as a pass rusher, and that's what you need to be able to do in order to get that top dollar money. All right, so let's get to our mid-level players. Oh, oh wait, what? No, there are no mid-level players. Absolutely none. None. There, there are zero. I mean, we were, we were saying the cupboard was bare. <laughs> we weren't just, you know, just making shit up. Like Ansa this. would be a great mid-level player if he was actually going to get paid there. I agree. Um, I agree. would be awesome. would be all about it. There is literally not a single mid-level player that we think makes sense for the Niners right now. The I, I do have one question for you once we talk about the bargain bin, so remind me about that question. Because let's get to the bargain bin, man. Let's get to the bottom. And there are two players here, one of which I actually am really excited about. The other of which I'm like, eh, okay. Uh, but there's one player from this edge class that I really, really want the 49ers to sign. And that's going to be the person we're going to lead off with here. And that's Junior Gallette. I think Junior Gallette would be the most logical and best free agent signing for the 49ers in the edge class if you're going to sign a free agent. Let's talk about the case for Junior Gallette. Well, do you want to start? So let me ask you this. Do you want to start with the I feel like we should start with the case against in, okay. in, in this situation because... So I, I saw, which we've kind of always taken a similar approach, though I, I don't know that we've spelled it out this way, but I saw somebody uh, recently on Twitter kind of explain uh, the way that he approaches off-field issues. And, and I, I thought it was really good. And it basically, it's this, I'm going to flag it. You know, was, I think it was Dan Hatman, right? That he created I, I think a flag? it was John Ledyard, but I'm not 100% sure on okay. that. Um, but basically, the idea is, look, we're outsiders. We don't have inside information. We're not talking to these guys. We don't have all the information that you need in order to be able to to accurately and, and reasonably assess a lot of these off-field problems. And so all we can do is flag it, right? We can mention it. So with Junior Gillette, you got some stuff to mention. There, there's some off-field stuff to mention. I think uh, you start, You could, well, let's even start with the injuries. So you had two seasons back-to-back where he missed the entire year due to Achilles tears. So 2015, 2016, gone. Didn't play a single snap in those years because of Achilles tears. So that's got to be uh, at least somewhat of a concern, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise a flag for that. I think the other flag you raise is that, you know, society frowns upon a grown-ass man whipping others with a belt on the beach. Maybe. I, 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 I might raise another flag for that one. Yeah, I think that makes, uh, makes a little bit of sense. I'm going to um, get you a flag. I want to just give you like a, a red flag, a, uh, a literal red flag that you can raise and wave whenever you see a player that you're like, eh. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I have some uh, some concerns about whether, uh, despite what is on the field, whether he is a player that should be signed. Um, I don't know that we're in a position yet to really have a good feeling as to, to what John Lynch feels. Yeah, um, I think if you're not familiar with the, the beach video that we're talking about, just do yourself a favor. Pull out your pocket Google machine, whether it be on uh, you know iPhone or Android or Huawei or whatever it is that you're rocking right now, and Google... Junior Galette, belt, beach. And watch that video because yeah. it's basically him going crazy on a beach and threatening to whip people with a belt. And it's I'm pretty not, sure it's not that's, a good look. that's not his only off-field incident like no. that, too. There, there, are, there are several others um, from what I remember reading. So there are concerns there. Yeah. Um, now, there is a quote from John Lynch because the question is, okay, they're dealing with the, the Reuben Foster stuff. Right. In my mind, literally almost called him Alden Smith. 
Like I, I, that I mean, trigger yeah, alert, sure. trigger alert. <laughs> but we're, we're dealing with that already. We dealt with Tremaine Brock swiftly. And, and Junior Gallette, you know, is someone that we don't have to deal with because he's not our problem yet. So why make him your problem? John Lynch, though, said, and this is a direct quote from John Lynch, if you're looking for a bunch of choir boys, that ain't happening. It'd be hard to fill a team, end quote. And he was asked about kind of whether or not they're going to place a high value on on character. And he goes off on this whole football character thing about how it's whether or not they show up to, to practice and whether or not they're fully committed to football and whether they care about football, yada, yada, yada. So no idea whether or not these red flags are enough for John Lynch to say we're not going to sign you because Gallette had, as far as I know, a fairly uneventful year in Washington from the off-field perspective. Sure. So we don't know if that's the case, but it, they are, there are significant red flags here that David is waving. I'm just saying he looks a little bit like he's trying to land a plane. I'm just going to stick him up in the air. You know, I'm just going to anybody who wants to, to notice them. They're here. There's a couple red flags. I'm just I'm mildly concerned. Now I'm imagining you in like a tennis chair where like you just you just raise your hand yep. like it's out. Fault. Yep. <laughs> Is fault tennis? I don't think fault's tennis. Fault's tennis. Is it? Yep. Yeah. I never double fault. It. Oh, wow. You know, you know, double tennis terms. I know those are words. I don't I have no idea what they mean. <laughs> um, those are words that the dude in the chair says. I'm pretty sure um, I have <laughs> no further uh, <laughs> nothing else to add. The only other thing I think we would put in the case against Junior Gillette is indeed football-related. He's not a fantastic run defender, but honestly, who cares? It's not why you're signing Junior Gillette. He was definitely a designated pass rusher in Washington last year. He played just a 407 snaps, and only 136 of those were in run defense. And, and half of those snaps came in the final four games. So by and large, you're drafting, or you're not drafting him, but you're signing him because he can rush the passer, and he can rush the passer, in my opinion, Pretty well for someone who's hitting the open market at the cost that he would be hitting that open market at. So let's get to the case for Junior Gallette. He wins with speed on both inside and outside moves. He's got really good bend to get around the edge. If Ziggy Ansah is a traditional kind of edge guy, I would say he's an edge guy that wins a bit more with kind of power. Junior Gallette wins with speed. Dude's fast. He's not going to bull rush you, but he's going to get around you. And there are a couple moves where he's able to make a juke inside. He won with this move a couple of times, and it's a call specifically for him. They isolate him on the outside, and they stunt him, and it's just him isolating. And he jukes to the outside, comes right back inside, and he just beats tackles with athleticism and speed. He just does it. I think that's the the key thing because yeah, he, he works inside moves a lot more than what you see because he's he is a more undersized guy. Um, if you think about actually, so if you want to go back to kind of Leo and and what you typically see from a, a player in that position historically is it's more of an undersized speed type of player, right? We we care really only about what they can do getting after the passer. They're kind of they're going to kind of play the run on the way to the quarterback, right? Is is the general idea, and so he fits that type of mold. Um, but he does work inside, I think, more than what you see from a lot of edge rushers, especially a lot of edge rushers, um, his size and his kind of you know uh, skill set. Um, it reminds me a lot of like a point guard in basketball. So a lot of his yeah. stuff is set up, um, by his, he's got a really good get off. So he gets off the line of scrimmage quick and he gains a lot of ground on those first few steps. And what that does is it kind of puts the tackle in a bind in order for them to be able to, to kind of match that speed. They got to be in a hurry to get out. They got to get, get wide. Death. Um, and they want to kind of cut off that outside pass rush. What he does after those first couple steps a lot, uh, I mean, nearly every I watched all of his pressures from this past year and it was like nearly every single one of them. He does some form of this where 
he kind of squares you up. So if you think of like a point guard trying to get in the lane, right? He squares that guy up and he kind of wants to make him freeze. He wants to make their feet stop so that he can go around him. And so if you see that tackle get get really wide really quickly, well, he's going to freeze him a little bit and he's going to work back inside. And that's kind of his go-to move. Uh, and he, he got more pressures inside than just about any other edge player this year. So of his pressures, he got an inside pressure with an inside move once every 18.5 snaps that he rushed the passer, which was the fourth highest rate among edge, edge defenders this past season. So that's really where he wins. And then you'll see if every once in a while, guys will, okay, he keeps beating me with his inside move. So I'm going to kind of, uh, you know, set inside a little bit. I'm not going to be as willing to get there. And then that's when he, again, freezes him up a little bit. But then you see the burst off the edge and the bend around the corner. And so um, he has a good, I think, a good plan. I think he has a good feel for what tackles are trying to do to him and, and what their sets look like and how to counter those sets. Um, and I, I think, again, you mentioned he was used as primarily as a pass rusher this year, kind of a specialized role. Um, but from that standpoint, you didn't really see a lot of drop off hit similar levels, similar grade to what he had pre injury. So, um, seemed to kind of bounce right back, even though he wasn't in that full time, every down roll. And when we think about a player that brings something the 49ers don't have currently, this is what the Niners don't have. They have a yeah. lot of power rushers. Doomerville, even though he's a bit more slight of build, is surprisingly more of a power guy. He does win with bull rush, and he likes to get under a tackle's pads and kind of push them into the quarterback. And that doesn't mean he's slow, but that's how he chooses to win. He's and a speed and then speed to power. Speed right? to power. His counter, Glett's counter is, I'm going to go inside. Doomerville, I want to threaten the outside. Same thing. I want to threaten speed on the outside. But if you overset me there and you get wide, I'm going right, right into your you. chest and I'm yep. going right through you to the quarterback. So it's, yeah, it's a little bit of a different counter, but yeah, it's, it's a, a different element um, than what basically any other player on the roster right. brings. And this is a, and, and team speed is a philosophy that we have on the wall in the locker room. This is something that Shanahan and Lynch have both talked about. They want to bring speed as a trait. So he definitely fits that mold and it fits within that team philosophy. And when you think about his productivity, his productivity is pretty good considering that he's going to hit the open market. He has the second highest pass rushing productivity in the free agent class. Not overall, just in the free agent class. DeMarcus Lawrence is the highest, but he got franchised. And then third is going to be Barkevius Mingo. When you think of the person who's going to get top dollar money in this category, when you're talking about Ezekiel Ansah, he was 33rd in pass rushing productivity overall in the league. And so this is someone who is very, very productive as a pass rusher. This is someone who, when you're talking about the dollars you're going to spend, right? He he is someone who is not going to come nearly as expensive as some of the other players. He's going to bring a skill set that the team doesn't have currently, and he's going to upgrade the pass rush. I think you know those red flags are a concern. So I've got two questions for you, David. You're the GM. You're John Lynch. Your ears already look funny, but do you make the move knowing what you know about about Galette? You you can't have any more yeah. information. Do you make the signing? Um, I, I mean, if it's if it's me right now at, at the bargain bin price, I don't know that I do honestly. Based on what, but that's a great thing. So the reason I like the flag situation is because I don't have to make that decision, right? But it's, now it's, I'm making you make the it's decision. John Lynch's job. This is the entire reason that John Lynch is here. Basically, that's why he gets to paid a million to, dollars and is, plus is to be able to judge this sort of thing, right? He's not the guy that's necessarily leading the charge on personnel stuff. He's got a lot of great people underneath him to kind of handle the brunt of that. Um, he's the guy, he's the culture guy, right? He's the one that sets the tone for the whole building. That's kind of his role right now. 
and and he's here for these decisions. He, they he's the one that needs to look into all this stuff and feel comfortable with the type of person that you're getting from Junior Gallette. Um, me right now, I mean, just based on where things uh, you know have kind of been and where things are at the league, I don't know. I'm probably staying away. Um, I, I think that uh, I'll go take my chances elsewhere. But if you feel comfortable, if if you talk to him and you look into all the details, all the information that again we don't have on the outside. Uh, there's no question that he's a talented player, that he would help them on the field, and that he would bring something to the table that the 49ers are currently lacking. Yeah, I I mean, I would probably make the signing. I, I would. I think, you know, a year removed from a bunch of the crap that he's had to go through, I, I don't think you're going to find... I, I don't think there's a player in the NFL, or there are very few players in the NFL, that are like squeaky clean. Oh, for sure. I think I, for, for with him, it's it's the multiple things. I mean, there are yeah. multiple things. There's a domestic violence thing in there, which is just like it's it's hard to feel cool about that. You know, it's just I don't know. I think I think it's a worry, but I think especially at the bargain bin price, I think it's 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 a skill you you want to add and, and you need sure. to add. I'd probably do it. I, I don't feel good about it. I feel a little dirty. Want to go take a shower? <laughs> yeah, but but I think I do it. And from a cost standpoint, so again, we we mentioned up front that uh, well, hold on. So here's the other question though. So that we we're talking about him in the bargain bin area. Do you make the signing if he moves in that mid-level area? So well, if, if his contract no. value... I mean, no, absolutely not. Um, but I, here's the thing with him is I don't think that, that, that that's a risk because... So, again, projections with this are, are a little iffy, and especially, I mean, that's not our main thing, right? That's not what we're best at is making those sort of projections. Um, Jason from OverTheCap.com recently put out an article of his top 100 free agents based on what he thought their average value per year would be in their in their contract this offseason galette wasn't even listed meaning he didn't even think that he was going to be one of the top 100 highest paid players in this free agent class uh which put him he said the kind of the the cutoff you're looking at roughly about three million dollars was kind of what those those bottom players are and what he expected them to get so if you're talking i mean you're you're likely looking at some sort of again like a one-year deal to maybe three million dollars in there um, it, it's not going to take a lot to get him. And so from that perspective, like, yeah, you can bring him on. There's obviously a lot of upside there from an on-field perspective. And if he screws up, it's an easy cut, right? You don't even think twice about it. It's okay. You're going to put yourself even in that position again. You're done. You know, you, you, you have zero opportunity here to screw up. Um, and so, yeah, I think from that perspective, it, it certainly can make sense. I would not be surprised if they do make the signing, um, I don't know. It's just a, it's, a, it's a weird thing to balance. Yeah, from from someone who would make the signing at the bargain price for whatever reason, if you make it more expensive, I, I don't I don't make the signing because of those flags. Uh, I'm yeah. staring at David right in the face, and I'm like, you know what? There's if it's low risk, high reward, I'm I'm all for it. But if it's you know, kind of even mid level risk yeah. reward, I would say I'm not comfortable taking that risk on someone that that has that kind of track record. Yeah. So let's get to the next player in the bargain bin, and that's going to be one Mr. William Hayes. So let's start with the case for William Hayes. And quite frankly, when we talk about production, he's someone who's excelled when he's given the opportunity. He's always been a part-time player, hasn't been really a full-time starter. He's never played more than 54% of snaps, but he's provided consistent production when he's on the field. So this is one of those players that you're not really expecting to do. Um, You're expecting him to hopefully either step into a bigger role or do what he's done and you know previously which is perform when he's in the rotation he's just a player that i've kind of liked for for a while as a rotational guy i mean he was with the rams for a while 
Um, so we got to see him, you know, twice a year and, uh, and, and was always kind of impressed with what he brought to the table was in Miami this past year and probably played at an even higher level than what we really saw from him, uh, with the Rams. But for whatever reason, he's never been a guy that teams are willing to put on the field, um, all the time, right? To be the kind of a primary starter, the primary player at the position. I don't know that at this point, if you're bringing him onto the team, that you're expecting him to increase that sort of role and, and be on the field for more snaps. Um, because I think he's going to be, if I remember right, he's going to be 33 this year. So he's definitely, he is, we, we talk about an ideal D line and what you really would like to have is it's that Eagles model, right? I, I want to be six, seven guys deep on that defensive line where I can keep a healthy rotation there and keep guys fresh and allow them to kind of give max effort when they're on the field. And he's somebody that can be, I think, a very quality piece of that sort of rotation. He can come in. Um, he's he's a, a plus pass rusher and a plus run defender. So if you do want to have him be a guy that kind of spells players in base as well, he can do that. Um, he's got some good quickness. He, he uses his hands well. He... he finds ways to get in the backfield often. Um, I think you look at case against there's, I don't know. I, I guess the, there are really two things I'd point to. He's, he is more, a little bit more of a power rusher. So he's kind of a bigger dude. Maybe it's a repetitive, doesn't fit. It's a repetitive skill set. Yeah. Though I think, you know, I think he, he is a more natural edge player than some of the guys that they have on the roster now, but I think that is a fair question. And then there's also like an upside component, right? I think he's very much a guy that we know what he is. He's going to be able to come in and uh, essentially give above average play consistently in both phases. Um, I mean, he's, I think over the last six seasons right now, he's had a, a, a grade of 79.0 or higher PFF grade. Um, so it's, it's, but it's all been right there. The upside isn't that high either. He's, I don't think he's been above like 85. So it's in that 80 to 85 range is kind of where he lives. And I think that's something that you can count on. And that would be, you know, a, he would be a positive contributor to this defensive line and to this defense. I think if you're if you're going to make a case for William Hayes, I think you obviously see the release of Aaron Lynch and you see that's the kind of player that he replaces. Yeah. Because when you look at the bottom of the 49ers roster, this is a, the, you see some of those guys that are already you see younger guys that are, you know, they can do one or two things. Well, they're, they're maybe decent in a rotation, but they're not great. Uh, you talk about that that kind of 80 range in terms of a PFF grade. Well, Aaron Lynch ended the year at 78.7, just under that 80 range. And and that's where Aaron Lynch lives as well. I don't think he's ever really going to be that like, you know, kind of above average or super above average player. But yeah. in a rotation, he's decent, especially if he can keep his weight down. So my question for someone like William Hayes is, is he going to take away snaps or development time from someone like a PETA on the roster or the younger guys that the Niners might want to come in and develop? Because now when you're starting to compete for roster spots, that's where I would say, you know, I, I might try to lean towards a younger guy with upside. And that's not necessarily Aaron Lynch, but this is some of the younger guys that we're either going to add this offseason or or already have on the roster in PETA. I keep calling him PETA because I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name. No, I'm P- just not. PETA T. Uh, um, PETA T. And so that that's the only thing I say. Like, I would have thought William Hayes would have been a good addition if maybe Cassius Marsh doesn't get signed. Yeah. But Cassius Marsh now being here, we're committed to him. And then you've got really like one, maybe two more spots for for an addition. And and I don't know that that I want to put that on William Hayes. At the same time, not a lot of money. I was going to say, like, I don't think that signing William Hayes precludes, like, if, if all of a sudden PETA is going to take a step forward and be somebody that d- is deserving of playing time, William Hayes isn't going to prevent that, right? Um, yeah. he, he's not a guy that is is so good that he's going to, you know, take those snaps away. And again, he's, he's more of a veteran player. Um, I'm not, you know, 
I think a lot of times players like PETA are more pipe dream. You know, it's it's just you're not really the the hit rate for like a, what was he sixth seventh round? Uh, I think he was fifth. No, he was later seventh? than fifth. Yeah, he was either sixth or seventh there. Um, I'm gonna Google those, PETA T and see what happens. Uh, essentially, I mean, those players, um, you know, you're <laughs> not really banking on them being able to to hit and actually. You know, come into it and be even a rotational player like that, right? I think anything that you get from them production-wise is is just a massive bonus. Um, but if he did, if he developed and, and he proved worthy of playing time, yeah, William Hayes is going to step aside or you're going to cut him, you know, if uh, if it comes down to that once you get down to 53. When you Google P to T, first two hits. One, the pita pit, which is a Austin restaurant. They make pitas. They're, they're sometimes delicious if you're in college and, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and then two, an Olympic athlete, the guy who comes out oiled. Yeah, know? the Tongan guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which actually, like, he knows our P to T. Oh, really? Our P to T got a bunch of tweets when that guy was like during the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Like a bunch of people were tweeting at 49ers P to T um, about Olympic stuff. Even Pita Tal Fatofua, I think, is how you pronounce that guy's last name. I'm gonna go ahead and try that one, and then just for shits and giggles. Peter Taumuapenu. I feel like that um, makes sense. Taumuapenu. Uh huh. Peter yeah. T. Yep. Yeah. That guy. Yeah, what she said. Uh, he was a sixth round pick, two hundred and second overall. Um, so again, yeah, I mean, those are those are guys. Like, if he works out, great. Um, but that's not really something that you're banking on. Peter also like the same way that William Hayes um, wouldn't be somebody that stops Peter T from like getting playing time if he proves worthy of that. Peter T is not somebody that's that, that's worth not signing William Hayes over, fair. right? So fair. All right, so that's going to be the edge guys in the free agent class again. Not a class that we're super excited about, and this is actually two position groups now because the free agent class, uh, the free agent class of pass catchers, while there were more options, was not super exciting. And now we get to edge, and we're like, uh, I don't know. There's really a whole lot here. And and so even like leave it to us that the one year we're like, yeah, let's spend a lot of money in free agency. Let's do this. Who can we sign? No one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, a corner or two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really not from a big picture standpoint. I think we'll kind of again, we have interior line next week and we'll kind of try to bring things together before free agency kicks off um, after that. But I think from a big picture plan standpoint right now, I mean, it's it's not. Uh, looking too good beyond no. corner. So let's get to a quick speed round. It's going to be two whole people in this speed round, but we've done this for a couple of weeks now. Speedy. And and because, again, the cupboard is bare. And it's going to be just a couple of players. We'll give you a one-line bottom line on whether or not we are kind of for this player or not for this player or why we think this player should or shouldn't be signed. So let's get to a popular name that you hear in the edge category, and that's going to be Adrian Claiborne. Give me your one-line speed round. Go. Um, comes from Atlanta, so similar system. He's a talented player, um, is able to contribute against both pass and run, um, but is more in the big edge mold, you know, and I think there's a, a little bit of redundancy there, and he's going to cost more, even though you may be a little worried about that with somebody like William Hayes. Claiborne's going to be somebody that costs more, and I think it would be a bigger issue with him. The next person in that speed round is going to be Alex Okafor. He's someone who was a one-year wonder. He underperformed consistently until he all of a sudden had a great grade in 2017, 84.7 overall. But his breakout year was cut short by an Achilles tear late in the year. This is someone where, again, price matters. If he comes at that mid-level or bargain, you might consider it. But chances are he's not because of that breakout year. And at that point, you don't see any sustained production that's worth paying a whole lot of money for. 
Um, now, we're going to do another kind of speed around, which is going to involve more of our own players. Because, surprisingly, the 49ers have some free agent options that we're going to figure out whether or not we're in or we're out on. And it's going to be a really quick segment because we haven't really talked about our own free agents so far this year. We've talked a little bit about Carlos Hyde kind of almost tangentially. We subtweeted Carlos Hyde a lot in the running back. Yeah, uh, we were doing the, the roster episode. breakdown. I mean, they, it kind of came up here and there, but haven't really addressed a lot of them yet. Yeah, so the, the edge class, though, we have two players, I think, that are worth discussing, and that's going to be Aaron Lynch or Tank Carradine. And the way that we're going to discuss these players is we're really going to ask one question. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to resign them or are you not going to resign them? And we're going to pres- presume for the purposes of this game that both of those players are going to come at that bargain level price because I, I can't imagine them coming at-, at more money than that. Yeah, agree. So, Aaron Lynch, are you in or are you out? I'm in. Um, I think that there's a chance that he might be actually like one of the more talented players for the value um, in this edge class. And I think that one speaks to he's actually been fine when he's been on the field and given opportunities. It's usually been things that are keeping him off the field. That's uh, a, a kind of a bigger issue there, but he's somebody that you already know, you know, he's, uh, we talked about with Daniel Kilgore in, in kind of how that looks compared to the other centers that are going to be available in free agency. And there's just not any, you know, a lot of clear cut upgrade options there. And so, Hey, we're going to stick with the player that we know, Um, We know what to expect from him in the locker room, all the other things that go into it, right, in terms of off-field stuff. We have a better feel for what Aaron Lynch is right now than we do for what Junior Glett is, say, for example. So I think the talent discrepancy there isn't big enough to where he shouldn't at least be considered. I think he can be, again, that sort of rotational player. He's not going to see huge snaps at this point, but uh, he's played well when he's actually got time on the field. I would say I'm out. And I'm out only because you convinced me on William Hayes. I would say that if you can have someone like a Junior Gallette, which would be ideal, or a William Hayes at roughly the same price as an Aaron Lynch, and you're not looking at them to do much more than anything for like a year or two, you're not looking for them for long-time staple. You're looking for a solid defensive line rotational player. I think we know what Aaron Lynch is. And that's not a bad thing. I think he's a a decent enough player to, to deserve to have a job in the NFL. But when I look at the issues with Aaron Lynch, the issues with Aaron Lynch have never been talent and they've never been on field. The issues have been about motivation yeah. and the issues have been about keeping weight. And that's not going to change. The same, we had the same issue last year we had the two years before. I would say that William Hayes, even though he's older, you have a similar skill set with similar production, if not a little better. And you don't have to worry about weight and you don't have to worry about whether his head's in the game. And so if they're both going to come for roughly the same price, I would say... Give me the guy I don't know because at least there's upside in what you don't know. If the, if the sure. floor is kind of there, then with Aaron Lynch and let him go somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. If it came down to one or the other there, yeah, I think William Hayes is a more reliable player. Right? Yep. You and can, that's kind of where I mean. You can count on what he's going to bring to the table, whereas Aaron Lynch is a little bit more of a wild card. Um, I don't know. So I think ideally, if you're avoiding the top end of of this edge class which and are the official really, the official better rivals recommendation at this point is indeed to avoid the top end if there's even a top end there may not even actually be a top end of this class if if ansa gets gets tagged i mean there's just nothing there um there's nobody that's going to command big money if if he gets tagged so it's the headless horseman of free agent classes it, it really doesn't line up great for for the 49ers in this respect but um, the next strategy, right, is to kind of load up while you when you're going for offseason stuff, going for your 90 man roster, load up on those bargain players, right? Get a few of them in there 
and kind of see who works out and, and see who fits best and, and, and um, see how things go throughout the course of the offseason, the preseason. And then you kind of make that ultimate decision once you cut down to 53, of course. So I, I would say, yeah, bring Aaron Lynch, bring William Hayes, like give them all a run and see how things go this offseason. Yeah, I think what interesting point there is, you know, people often talk about the money you're going to give someone in free agency. We gave Jeremy Curley, and this is honestly, I'm going to go back to the, this example a lot because I think it shows that no no contract is safe, especially when you're in that transitional tier. We gave Curley a contract, three-year deal, and it was just not a lot of money. It was a transitional deal. All right, you gone. We, we found Trent Taylor. We got our hard hats. Call yep. it a day. Pack it in. So last player in the are you in or are you out, Tank Carradine. Your favorite player in the whole wide world, David. I know. Come you on, love, man. You, you know the answer to this one. You love Tank. Are you in or are you out? I'm out. I'm done. I don't need any more tank carry in my life. Like <laughs> he's he's been fine. Like I'll I'll give him credit. Like he has developed into a player worthy of a roster spot. Like he deserves to be on a roster. He can contribute somewhere. He doesn't bring the pass rush element. He is, I think, purely a rundown player at this point in his career with what he's shown on the field. Um I don't have a lot of need for those guys on my roster right now. I have, I feel good about where I'm at from a run defense. I feel good enough. Like if you have a base defense that has Buckner Armstead and Solomon Thomas out there, like they're going to be fine for run defense. Right. Um, so I'm not terribly worried about adding player that that's where their primary contributions are going to come from is in the rundowns. Um, I, again, they need pass rushers. They need guys. What you do in, in the past game, uh, determines your value to me. Um, if you can't really provide a lot of value in that respect, I don't have a lot of room for you on my roster. Yeah, and for me, this he because he can serve as a backup big end, and and again, I, I do value that run defense. I think a little bit more than you do. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him back. So I would say because he probably comes on the cheapest of cheap deals, uh, and and we know what he can provide, and the fact that he came. And the fact that he's got like he he's proven that he can work and do well in this system at that six technique, I would say I'm in. But it's the most thinnest of ends. If I see another player, if someone's like, "Hey, Junior Galette or Tank Carradine," I'm like, "Hell, give me Junior Galette. I don't care." And give him some extra belts. Yeah, like I mean, just in case. I don't know. Closest I can be to in is indifferent. <laughs> is like where I feel about Tank Carradine. Like that just, was well done. Uh, that, can I just give you a I've round got. of applause for that? Yeah. That was really well done. That was take take every, take every, a, every once in a while, you know. Take a victory lap. Let's yeah. all let's all just take a drink to that real quick. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so that does it, man. That's the end. That's all we've got. I That's mean, the edge. I feel I feel bad because we're like light. We usually try to shoot for an hour. We usually do an hour ten. Cause yeah, and we're like panning and we're like, oh my god, we're gonna run over an hour again. I know because we derail because that's what we do. But yeah, this is uh, the cupboard is bare and so are the minutes on the podcast clock. But that's we're not gonna try and pack it in. This is all we got for you on this episode. This is the third of four episodes where we're gonna be previewing the free agent class. The final free agent preview is going to be next week where we're going to talk about interior offensive linemen. You can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. That's exactly right. And so you can always check our episodes on Niners Nation, SoundCloud, Google Play, or iTunes. 
whatever service you use in order to download the podcast. Make sure that you leave a review if you can, because it finds uh, it helps other people find the show and it helps our ranking. We were uh, I was gonna say which. By the way, that top, is working. Yeah, it top one hundred <laughs> professional sports podcasts on iTunes, which is pretty ridiculous. Pretty yeah, I ridiculous. mean it's it's been a while. Like we we were up there um, during kind of the Super Bowl run was yep. was really kind of uh, peak iTunes rankings for us. But yeah, I mean we've had a bunch of reviews recently. All have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, so thank you to everybody that's left a review already and, and has said very kind things and it's helped. I mean, it's again, uh, our listens have gone up, our rankings have gone up, which is all um, great stuff. You know, we want to try to get all of this stuff out there to as many people as possible. That's so we right. appreciate you helping us out. Yeah. We want to make everyone, I was able to drop the better rivals line on Twitter the other day too. Uh, Cause someone was like, be better. And I was like, be a oh, better yeah, rival. Yeah, yeah. With Ted, Ted. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's what we try and do. We try and, and, and make everyone more informed. So, Thanks again to everyone who's already left a review. If you haven't left a review, please go do so. Thanks again for everyone who's tuning in. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.